Praise the Lord. Uh, as I get my stuff ready, um, the Bible says to give honor whom honor is due. And so I'm going to just give some honor to my pastor. Um, I don't know where I'd be without my pastor, really. Um, I probably wouldn't be here. Um, it's, it's the truth. Um, he's invested in me, even when he was just the youth pastor. And I was just that young little, immature little boy. <laughs> who, uh, Yeah, still am, but... Um, I don't know where I'd be without Pastor Jared. He's definitely my, my covering. And then also my parents. Uh, they do some things that I didn't like at the time, but now I really appreciate it. And I, I want to honor them. Um, today, I'll be speaking about faith. Um, if we turn our Bibles to the Matthew 17... Verse 20. When you're there, say amen. Amen. Um, his disciples came up to Jesus and they were like, Hey, Jesus, why, why can't we cast out this demon? Why, 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 you know, you told us we can do these things if we use your name. Why can't we do this? And... Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, If ye have faith as the grain of a mustard seed, ye shall say to this mountain, Remove, hence yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Um, if she can put N -A -N -T, um I like NLT. It makes a little bit more sense for me. Um, you, do, you don't have enough faith, Jesus told them. I'll tell you the truth. If you even had faith as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move here from there, and, it, and nothing would be impossible, right? It's very interesting to me that they only need small faith. You know, you would think, a demon? Why, why do I only need a little bit, little bit of faith? Um, so today, I'll be, with the help of the Lord, I'll be preaching about a little more faith. Jesus, I pray, God, that you would intervene in this place right now. God, uh, I can't do it by myself. I need you to use my lips, use my hands, use my voice, God, to relay the message you have given me and this church. God, I pray, God, you would anoint my lips. Give me the attitude needed for the anointing wanted. Hallelujah. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Um, I got a little story. Uh, if you can turn your Bibles to 2 Kings 6. Sorry, I'm using the old-fashioned way. I don't have fancy technology. Bless the Lord. Okay. When you're there, say amen. Amen. Um, and the sons of the prophets came to Elisha. Elisha. Behold now... The place where I dwell with these too straight for us. Let us go, pray thee, unto Jordan, and take hence every beam, and let us make a place where we may dwell. And he answered, Go ye. But one of them said, Be content, I pray thee, go with thy servants. And he answered, I will go. 
And so he went with them, and they came unto Jordan and cut down the wood. But as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell off and floated in the water, or fell into the water. And he cried, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. And the man of God said, Where fell it? Man, I love King James. And he showed uh, him to a place and cut down the stick and cast it hither, and the iron did swim. Basically, the axe had floated. Um, You know, when I read this, I like to kind of almost make the character have a funny personality. You know, almost kind of envelop myself into the story because sometimes it just is like nothing. You know, you don't really... It's just like, oh, words. Yeah. But I like to envelop my story. And so, though the guy who said, hey, this is small, he's not named... I want to. I just want to name him like a Bible name, maybe like Nimrod. Yeah. And I could just. I can just picture him coming up to Elisha and saying, "Hey, Elisha. I know I like gathering with you, and but wouldn't you say it's a little tight? It's a little small in here. Wouldn't you say that?" And he's like, "You know what? You're right, Nimrod. It is a little tight." And so they have a problem is because, well, they're gathering together and there's not enough room. But I just want to take a little step back. You know, we're going to start these life groups. We've already started two P7 clubs. Another P7 club is going to be going into the middle intermediate school. Cambrian Genesis are starting it. That's in two weeks. (laughs) Hallelujah. And, you know, I know a couple of you guys... We're starting Bible study groups, and it's amazing, right? And our adult attendance will double. That's been promised. All these things are going to happen. It's been said. It's been promised. I have no, no, no doubt. It's going to happen. And so as we grow, there's going to be problems that will arise. For them, the building wasn't big enough. I don't know if we're there yet, but just, just hold on with me. Just let me take you through this story. Anyways, Nimrod, Nimrod, uh, he says to Elisha, hey, uh, can we go down to the Jordan? <laughs> There's a lot of trees down there. We can cut them. A lot of trees. It's not South Dakota, but um, it's not South Dakota. I lived in northern Minnesota. There's a ton of trees. I love trees. Um, the only thing I didn't like raking them, but. Um, and so they begin to build and I can just picture Nimrod. He has his ax. And all of a sudden, master. What do I do? I borrowed that. (laughs) Yeah, Nimrod probably wasn't a good golf player, I'll tell you. Had a good swing there, huh? Um, But, so now they have a need because apparently, it it says, it doesn't say here, but an axe head was very expensive. They didn't really have technology. They didn't have cars. They didn't, you know, they can't just make an axe. You have to sit there and forge it. 
and whatever. So he had it borrowed, and so it's very expensive. It, you know, it's if I if I took one of Brother Shelsta's golf clubs and just tossed it in the lake, I'd probably have to pay that back, and it'd be a lot of money. But that's what it's the equivalent to. And so he goes to the master, and he says, "Hey, I." I borrowed this. It went in the water. He said, okay, where was it? He took a stick, threw it in, came up. And the miracle happened, right? But how can we apply that to us? How can we apply that to where we're at? That, that's, the, that's the question. When I read scripture, I don't just look at it and, you know, just, oh, that's a good story. No, I want to apply it. I want, I want it to grow. I want it to produce something inside of me, change my nature, change who I am. Um, and so I, I can just see me standing in a P7 club, and it's going to grow. I know it's going to grow. I know we're going to reach kids. They're going to be baptized in that baptismal. I know it. I have no lack of faith there. But... My greatest fear is somebody comes up and says, hey, can we, I have a prayer request. I'm like, oh, what is it, Timmy? He goes, my grandma's in the deathbed. She has leukemia, stage four. And he wants me to pray for her. Well, <laughs> you know, you're put in a place where like, oh, I can't do anything. I'm not a doctor. God, you need to come through, you know. And we can almost think, God, I did all this I did all this work. I did all this faith. I had so much faith to start this P7 club when I did not want to. I, you know, I you know, my natural human tendency would not want to start a P7 club. I don't want to talk to a bunch of pimply teenagers. <sighs> Voice cracking? No, none of that. But am I going to be that type of person that when that comes up I'm going to be like Jesus Help them to get a good transition. Help them, Lord, to have a good funeral, not have too much sorrow. No. I, I have to step up to the occasion. I have to put a little more faith and say, your grandma, she's going to be healed. And I may sound dumb. I may feel dumb. I may not feel anything. But faith isn't a feeling. Faith, actually, faith is an action. If there's, you know, like, like uh, James said, he said, if you have no works with your faith, then it, it's dead. There's nothing there. Until I put something in, there's nothing that's going to happen. God can do it. He wants to do it. But he wants to do it through you. He wants to partner with you. And it's, isn't, that, isn't that wonderful that God wants to partner with us? He wants to partner with me. He wants to partner with you. I don't know, but that, feel, that makes me happy that God cares enough about a little kid from Watertown, South Dakota, that he wants to use me. Out of 7 billion people in the world, he wants to use me for somebody that needs it. Amen. I'm a little nervous. If you see me fall over, I'm slain in the spirit. <laughs> but 
As our ministries grow, problems will come our way. Miracles will need to take place. And it is our job to step out in faith. What did Elisha do? He threw in a stick. He threw something in. If we don't throw something in, it's not going to happen. And so, though it may feel weird, you know, it, you definitely feel out there. You know, I feel out there. You know, saying, RP7 Club is going to grow. Somebody's going to be baptized. I feel out there. But if I don't speak it, it has no power. It won't happen if I don't speak it. So, something to chew on. Um, but it, sometimes faith is silly. It tends to be silly. Um, in a way, for instance, if, you, if pastor's preaching a great message, God, God will help us. He will help you. You'll get healing. You'll get whatever you need today if you come up to this step. Taking the step of faith and walking and ki- kicking, the, kicking that, lifting up your hands, that feels stupid. What, what does that have to do with me who has bills to pay? What, what does that have to do with me who has depression and I can't get over it? What, what does that have to do with me? But it's the action... And then God comes through. And if he doesn't, you still have to make steps of faith. Partnering with God is taking the little steps, a little more faith, a little more faith. It may be hard. It may feel dumb. Just take that extra step of faith. Um, I say this as nicely and politely as I can. This faith is an action, like I said. So, yeah, you could be like, oh, I'm going to go save the world. Right. But the way you can apply this message is by doing it. Okay. And so when Raquel comes up here and gives a word and it's something you need, though you may feel uncomfortable, I want you to walk to the altar and take steps of faith. Otherwise, you know, you missed it. It's not your fault. I mean, it's not God's fault. He wants to do it. Take the step of faith. Yes, it's, it's symbolic as giving God yourself. He's, you're giving God f- free reign, free access into work in your situation. One scripture, and then I come to a close. Um, Deuteronomy 31 6 and 8, I'm sorry, Aquila. I said through 8, my bad. It's all right. I'll forgive her. She'll forgive me. Never mind. Um, wow. This side. Okay. Deuteronomy 31, 6. Be strong and of good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For thy God, he it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. You jump down just a couple more verses. The Lord, and the Lord, he say, he it is doth go before thee. He will not forsake thee. He will not fail thee, neither will he forsake thee. Fear not, neither be dismayed. And he's saying, this is Moses closing, you know, like his last, last thing. This is the, like, the message he preached 
before they went to the promised land, he never sees them again. He says, fear not. I will not. God will not forsake thee. You will take the land. And so I, I, I want to challenge somebody. If, if there's an occasion that comes where God's asking you to take a step of faith, just take it. You won't regret it. Because even if it doesn't happen, your faith will be rewarded in heaven. You know? Anyway, I come to a close. Just take that small step of faith. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet right now in this place. Can you throw Deuteronomy 31 and 6 back up there? Amen. Amen. I want us to receive this today. Uh, what Cole was preaching in this place. Look, uh, God has, we, we've heard it time and again, and I, I refuse to stop speaking it. I refuse to stop saying it. God is going to do incredible things in Watertown, in Millbank, in Brookings, in Webster, all across every, every place. And the day's coming and it's coming soon. Look, you can try to say we've been praying that, we've been believing that, we've been speaking that for five years, for seven years, for ten years. Well, we prayed for a P7 club to start for for seven years, and now we've got two of them in one year. Everything occurs in God's time, but there's a time to stand fast in faith and to put your feet down and to say, no, I'm not moving anywhere. I'm going to be stubborn in faith, and I'm going to believe that God is going to come through and then there's a time to take a step of faith and to step out into the unknown and say, God, unless you meet us here, I don't know how it's going to work. There's a time to step out of your pew when you've got a need in your life and to say, God, I'm going to walk up to the altar today and I don't have a clue how it's all going to come together, but because I trust you, I'm going to step out and lift my hands and say, Jesus, I give you my life. God, uh, want somebody today to grab a hold of that kind of faith that's going to be willing to step out of their chair, step out of their altar, uh, or come up to the front and begin to say, Jesus, uh, I need you. Reason will always attack faith. If you want, you can always come up with a reason why you're still going to be broke, you're still going to be addicted, you're still going to be a mess and a wreck. Your human reasoning will always attack faith. But God has given to every man a measure of faith. Uh, and so that first voice, that prompting you here in your mind, it is never the devil that says, hey, you should go to the altar. It's never the devil that says, hey, you should lay your hands on this person and, and begin to pray with them. It's never the devil that says you should lift your hands and lift your voice. What you're hearing is the voice of God drawing you to himself. Uh, and would to God, uh, as a church, we would become sensitive to that voice uh, and have just a little bit more faith uh, so that when God speaks, we respond quickly and we say, here I am, Lord. Uh, I'm right here. What can I do for you? God, I'm ready. Uh, here I am, God. Uh, let's lift our hands across this place right now uh, and let's ask God for 
for just a little bit more faith. Uh, in Jesus' name, Lord, I pray uh, you would rest it upon every mind, uh, upon every heart, upon every life, God. Uh, we have great, uh, exceeding great and precious promises, Lord. Uh, and I believe they're going to come to pass. They are going to be so. Uh, and every man, woman, and child under the sound of my voice, uh, just that little bit of faith, God, uh, let it stir inside of them. Let it grow. Let it develop. Uh, let it begin, God, to blossom in them. Uh, that's time, God, to take that step. Uh, it's time to step out of my comfort zone and pursue you. Uh, in Jesus' name, uh, let's clap our hands to the Lord together. Hallelujah. 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 Be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, be not afraid of them for the Lord thy God. He it is that doth go before thee. He will not fail thee. He will not forsake thee. Uh, you ought to write that on your mirror so it's the first thing you see every single morning. Uh, you ought to put that on a note on your door uh, or on your windshield so that when you're driving to work or you're going wherever you're going, uh, I want you to be saying Deuteronomy 31 and 6, uh, my God uh, is going with me. He's not going to fail me. He's not going to forsake me. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that we serve. Amen. I'm excited about what God's doing in this region. Amen. And with that, I'm also excited to bring Sister Raquel up to this pulpit. I, I was really, really mean. I wasn't sure if I was going to get a chance to see her when they got back from their honeymoon. And so I asked her to preach about a week before her wedding. <laughs> and then I told her, I don't want you to think about it at all until you come home. And so hopefully she was uh, obedient to that, that word. Uh, but I'm excited. We have, we've heard from her before, and it's always been a, a well-studied and anointed word. And I'm thankful that both of these coming today are, are, are people of prayer, of fasting, of the word. Uh, a young, young man and a young lady that are sensitive to the voice of God and willing to step out by faith. And so if you're thankful for what God has been doing in Sister Raquel, why don't you clap your hands to the Lord and let's worship the Lord as she comes today. Thank you, Pastor Jared. Thanks for this opportunity. If we could go to Exodus 33, 17 through 18, and then I'll read from chapter 34, 4 through 29 as well. From chapter 33, 17, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. 34, 4 through 29. And he hewed two tables of stone like unto the first, and Moses rose up early in the morning and went up unto Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him. I'm sorry, you guys can sit down. This is kind of a lot. <laughs> and took in his hand the two tables of stone. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. 
And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children, unto the third and to the fourth generation. And Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found grace in thy sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray thee, go among us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for thine inheritance. And he said, Behold, I make a covenant. Before all thy people I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation, and all the people among which thou art shall see the work of the Lord, for it is a terrible thing that I will do with thee. Observe thou that which I command thee this day. Behold, I drive out before thee the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land whither thou goest, lest it be for a snare in the midst of thee. But ye shall destroy their altars, break their images, and cut down their groves. For thou shalt worship no other god. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god. Lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they go a-whoring after their gods, and do sacrifice unto their gods, and one call thee, and thou eat of his sacrifice. And thou shalt take of their daughters unto thy sons, and their daughters go a-whoring after their gods, and make thy sons go a-whoring after their gods. Thou shalt make thee no molten gods. The feast of unleavened bread shall thou keep. Seven days thou shalt eat unleavened bread, as I commanded thee, in the time of the month of Bib. For in the month of Bib thou camest out from Egypt. All that openeth the matrix is mine, and every firstling among the cattle, whether ox or sheep, that is male. But the firstling of an ass thou shalt redeem with a lamb, and if thou redeem him not, then shalt thou break his neck. All the firstborn of thy sons shalt thou redeem, and none shall appear before me empty. Six days thou shalt work, but on the seventh day thou shalt rest. In earing time and in harvest thou shalt rest. And thou shalt observe the feast of weeks, of the first fruits of wheat harvest, and the feast of ingathering at the year's end. Thrice in the year shall all your men children appear before the Lord God, the God of Israel. For I will cast out the nations before thee, and enlarge thy borders. Neither shall any man desire thy land, when thou shalt go up to appear before the Lord thy God thrice in the year. Thou shalt not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leaven, neither shall the sacrifice of the feast of the Passover be left unto the morning. The first of the firstfruits of thy land shall, thou shalt bring into the house of the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not see the kid in his mother's milk. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write thou these words, for after the tenor of these words I have made a covenant with thee and with Israel. And he was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. He did neither eat bread nor drink water. And he wrote upon the tables the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. And it came to pass, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in Moses' hand, when he came down from the mount, that Moses wist not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. If we could all pray. Thank you, Jesus, God, for this time together. I pray that you would speak your word to these people. I pray that you would anoint my lips, God, and help us to be sensitive to your spirit. I pray that you would impact us, God, and leave your mark on us today. In Jesus' name. So I know that this was a lot of scripture to read and probably many laws that don't seem to make sense, but I would challenge you today to see passages like this one in a new light. A little backstory behind this conversation between Moses and the Lord. Moses spent a total of 80 days up on a mountain with God. 
I imagine that in that amount of time, a lot of words can be spoken. One day with the right person, sometimes even one hour, and you can get an earful. But 80 days, there's no way we have scripture of all of the conversation that was had up on the mountaintop, much less scripture of the conversations that they would have had in Moses' entire life. There were words and promises given to Moses that we know nothing of. Just the fact that Moses was fine going up there in the first place just to receive instruction from God is amazing. It signifies a level of trust that he had that ran deeper than surface level. Moses knew God, not knew of God. He knew God himself like he would know another person or even deeper. He was not even worried about food or water. He was that enraptured in the conversation. And to us, the conversation seems boring. The things that God said to Moses were instructional. He was telling Moses about the way he wanted his people to live. And Moses ate it up as if there was no place he wanted to be but to sit and listen to the commandments of God. I think that Moses knew something about God that we often miss. Amidst a very non-exciting conversation with God where Moses was asking him not to leave the Israelites, Moses randomly says, show me your glory. I want to see you. And then a chapter later, God re-explains the Ten Commandments to him. And Moses is still interested in, in staying and interested in what God is saying. I think he knew that the Lord was giving him the commandments in utter love. When we read it today, I think we are sometimes tempted to read it as if God is this commanding, narcissistic being who wants control. When in reality, he opened up himself to a man who loved him and who wanted a deeper relationship with him. He allowed Moses to understand how to connect with him and approach him and how to show others to do the same. It was not done in any other spirit than love. When the the Israelites were still in bondage, their camp was separated from the Egyptians. When God was sending plagues because Pharaoh wouldn't liberate his people... God began to make a distinction between them and the rest of Egypt. Imagine if the Israelites had wanted to move their tent from Goshen, where they were, closer to Egypt because they didn't like being different. That distinction saved their lives because on the tenth plague, the firstborn of every creature died. Every commandment that you find in scripture is a testimony and a witness of the love of God and showing us how to be closer to him. And if you're wondering how a commandment or a law could make you closer to God, Leviticus 19.2 says, Ye shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. We cannot get close to a holy God without being holy ourselves. God's holiness can be thought of like the sun. The sun isn't bad, but if we get too close to it, we will die, because it is so powerful and consuming. So God, in his mercy, gave the law so that they could have the tools to get close to God without being consumed and dying. Certain behaviors and certain things cannot enter into his presence. If you notice, almost every ancient person that was recorded to have stepped into the presence of God was terrified that they would die because they understood that God was holy and they were not. Because Jesus' atonement made a way for us to enter into his presence and live, we are holy and consecrated to the Lord. We are set apart once we are saved. And being set apart means you follow God's word and you obey him. You are a holy vessel that should not be filled with anything impure or immoral. 
there are certain things that would taint your purity that you stay away from because God chose you to, to fill you with his spirit. And you belong to him now. He gave you his word and his spirit. So even if there's something in scripture that you haven't read yet or that you don't understand, we can't say we didn't know because he also gives us his spirit to guide us and to speak to us about what is the right thing to do. I think that a lot of times we misunderstand that holiness and separation are attainable only by grace, the grace of God. Having the ability to have a life void of vulgarity and perversion is a blessing and something to cherish. My mind isn't being attacked and bombarded by something that I let into my home. Peace is priceless, and if you've ever not had peace, you know that. It is priceless to have the understanding that holiness is a protection and is valuable and irreplaceable. We should not despise being set apart. Don't waste your energy and downplay your anointing wishing you weren't in the camp of the saved. Because so many times they're wishing they were here. People that don't know God want a functioning home. People want a life of peace and wholeness. Because a lot of times we're embarrassed but a lot of times we're embarrassed to be different. That seems like an attack of the enemy to me. I am very happy to be part of the body of Christ. Nothing out in the world even compares. Nothing can substitute the love and presence of God living inside of you. You need the Holy Ghost in this world. You need to be able to know that all of your sins have been washed away, never to be brought before you again. Without it, we'll just be tossed back and forth like the waves of the sea, going along with whatever hell is fancying for our lives. My heart breaks for children that don't have a choice of what negative influences come into their homes. They are so vulnerable, and they don't stand a chance alone. However, today, we can make a choice that even though the world has grown more evil, when they are looking to escape from that, here we are with what they're looking for as a church. Stability, hope, real peace. If we all could stand. I think of this concept like a believer having a spotless house. Everything is in its place. There isn't a spot to be found. And it is literally sparkling. It's very clean. But someone comes over that is used to a filthy house where you can't find a spot to sit. And when you do sit down, it gets on your clothes and you start to stink. There's garbage everywhere, stuff everywhere, and it is dirty. So a person from that home goes to this pristine house, and the host of the pristine house feels bad because this person is used to filth. So she goes and shovels some dirt and brings it into the house and spills the dirt right next to her guest. And in she comes and dirties her nice couch. I imagine the guest looks at her utterly shocked and says, What are you doing? I love your clean couch. I love to sit and not to have to worry about anything staining my clothes. I love to come over and feel safe and clean. I love the fact that I can bring my children here and I can know that they are going to be well taken care of and that there's nothing to worry about. We should never assume that people who don't know the truth don't want the truth. What we have is priceless. What we have, others are looking for. I don't want to just be separate. I want to believe and love separation. I want to stand for it so strongly that others coming in will feel safe in the fact that this church is free from the stain or the smell of sin. 
They don't have to worry when they bring their kids in here that we will influence them wrongly. Don't look back from where you came from. Know that with God inside of you, purifying you and making you new, you have the power to be pure in a world catastrophic with filth. Who else is going to stand for separation if not you? Is it going to be your coworker? Is your teacher at... Is your child's teacher at school going to teach them that without holiness, no man shall see the Lord? That's crazy. It's up to you. We should pray for a love for purity and holiness. Because once it gets inside of you, a true conviction for the things of God, it's much harder for the devil to take it away and tempt you with the things of this world. But if we will commit every day to keeping ourselves clean from the evil influences of this world, God can and will direct our steps, and we will have the peace and salvation that we desperately need in order to live in this dying world.